You are listening to the Health and Wellness Connection Podcast, the number one wellness podcast designed to provide the latest information to help you achieve your health and wellness goals. Our show features exciting guests, the latest in medical research, and in-depth discussions in current trends on weight loss, nutrition, and fitness. No matter what your interest, the Health and Wellness Podcast has you covered. And now, presenting your illustrious host, Dr. Barry, MD. All right. Let's see here. All right, we're on Facebook now. Facebook is activated. And uh, hey, guys, let's begin. Hi, how are you guys doing? This is Dr. Barry here, host of the Health and Wellness Connection. Thank you guys for joining us today for what I hope will be a very exciting and entertaining episode. It's going to be our first kind of new, you know, video episode. So it's kind of a new switch for us. I know y'all been sticking with us on the audio side and uh, this will be still on the audio um, audio um, feed, guys. So don't fret if you're an audio listener. Uh, please uh, continue doing that as well. But hey, if you have a Facebook account, you want to kind of see the video and see, you know, how we doing it, you know, and how we look, you know, hopefully I'm not looking too bad for you guys. But uh, if you do want to see us on the video, check us out. We'll have some awesome uh, video footage to accompany the uh, typical audio um, show. So again, welcome. This is the Health and Wellness Connection. Um, again, I'm your host, Dr. Barry. Uh, we're broadcasting live from Houston, Texas. Uh, we actually are in a new, um, pretty cool studio. And uh, we're excited to be here. It's called, uh, I think, GMT Productions. Um, so check them out if you're looking at, for some uh, video work as well. But either way, we're going to bring you, you know, that news we've been bringing to you for the past few years now. Um, the latest and most interesting and, you know, really important health and wellness information that may, you may not have, you know, seen or you may have overlooked. We're going to try to bring it to you in a very easy to, to digest format. So you can hopefully, you know, get some out of it and maybe improve your overall health and wellness. So let's get started um first things first also before we get started <laughs> you got to do all the commercials and shameless plugs you know if you're looking to donate to the show you're excited or you you want to help us kind of continue to expand um you can always hit us, hit us on the cash app at dr barry health um also you can join us on the anchor page where we host the audio podcast and soon um the youtube page for the video podcast um you can check us out on youtube at um uh, dr barry's health and wellness connection just search on youtube and pull it up this should be um one of the few channels that pop up and just go ahead and join so uh that being said let's get started so i'm sure you guys remember or heard in the news about a very explosive health story um regarding the leak of the covid 19 virus and a new um, report from the energy department from the united states of america now this has really been all over the interwebs guys and you know we've been talking about covid since the beginning you know we were here when it broke out when it really got discovered we kind of walked through all the process of how we became into you know what it became into and of course if you want to learn more about that check out the old shows guys anchor.com backslash hw connection we you know we walked through all the initial studies and what they were thinking when it was first initially reported now that being said let's talk about what's actually going on right now when it comes to this new report so apparently they're saying now the energy department again from the united states America is stating that there is some truth to the report that this virus may have actually leaked from a lab in Wuhan. Now, 
if you guys remember uh, very very um you know if you remember two years ago when, we, when the initial covid vaccine or covid virus broke out there was a very there was multiple stories you know kind of flying around the interwebs regarding kind of how the initial covid virus you know was initially found and if y'all remember correctly there was some sort of association association with a you know a uh, the wuhan animal market where there was some sort of wild animals being sold and there was some sort of theory that maybe people who had bought some maybe diseased animals then later contracted the virus and that was kind of the initial rumor but there was also another story that was being reported about how a lot of folks who initially got sick were actually lab technicians who worked in this high level um, virology lab in wuhan and were likely believed to be the individuals who initially contracted the virus and this came out initially then it got debunked quote unquote and then there was some a lot of kind of confusion about the um whole situation if you guys remember um this is actually what got trump in trouble because he started associating the virus with the quote unquote china virus and from from then on it became a almost became complaints of xenophobia and that was almost that whole idea was essentially um discarded and the people said let's just kind of you know wait and see what's going on and determine if this really came from a chinese lab you know china vehemently denied it so there was a lot of confusion in this whole area so now um two years later they apparently they've been studying this thing the fbi has been on it cia they've been doing their research trying to figure out where the origin of the virus may have came and this new report is stating that the chinese lab leak theory may actually be what really happened so uh, a lot of people are now kind of really, you know, looking back at all the information that was presented back then. And it seems like, you know, there's going to be a lot of folks who have some explaining to do as far as, you know, why there was such a harsh pushback when this initial concept was being kind of brought to the forefront initially during the early days of the pandemic. So, um, you know, obviously a lot of people are talking about this and it kind of leads to the whole conspiracy concept of whether or not this is all manufactured. And of course, there's no evidence to state that. But, you know, if there is belief that, you know, this lab was was creating these viruses, they call them gain of function um, viruses that were making them more potent, more stronger. And if that was a purpose and it leaked accidentally causing a worldwide pandemic, clearly, you know, many heads would roll. So it's obvious that there was some people, if this was potentially the case, you know, would probably work to try to cover it up to avoid, you know, being blamed for, you know, many, I don't know, millions of people dying. <laughs> so it's pretty, pretty um, high level stuff here, guys. So, you know, um, we, we have, we're going to be paying very close attention to see whether or not this leads to any kind of, you know, people getting called out potentially for, you know, being careless with the virus, you know, what actually led to the leaks, things like that. And, uh, you know, we're going to be, you know, seeing what this, you know, entails going forward. So, it's going to be obviously something that you know the u.s government is going to, have to work with the chinese government and there's some talks that this is going to heighten further tensions between the united states and china now of course china has been you know vehemently denying this entire you know china lab leak um concept and they've been actually you know coming out with their uh, representatives just kind of really rebutting this new report from the energy department but of course you know china has its reasons to not want to take blame for this because again you know, there's going to be billions, if not trillions of, of monies that are have been lost from this virus pandemic. And people are looking for folks to blame now. And uh, everyone is trying to avoid, you know, that blame. So ultimately, this report, I think, is very um, I think it confirms a lot of people who already suspected that this was um, the likely the source. I know, remember early on in the pandemic, there was some reports of bats, you know, biting folks somewhere in China and things like that that were never actually proven. 
And the, the funny thing is, you know, there was actually a lot of work done to try to isolate animals or whatever potential organism that may have originated this virus, and there was none was none could be found. So this is when the whole lab leak theory became more and more um, likely the case, according to the researchers who were actually involved in trying to find the source of this COVID-19. So, yeah, this is real stuff, guys. So let's hope that, you know, cooler heads will prevail and, uh, you know, we'll come to a real conclusion as to why this, you know, lab leak happened. Um, and again, this hasn't been officially confirmed yet, but all, you know, data is pointing in this direction. And if you guys remember too, you know, Elon Musk, who everyone likes to, you know, I would say the world's richest troll at this point, has really been kind of pushing the concept of files that he um, he's, he dubs the Fauci files, which are actually potentially supposed to link, you know, Anthony Fauci, the previous uh, NIH director, with gain-of-function research associated with COVID. So again, this is all theory, all speculation at this point. But again, um, this Energy Department report, I think, does, you know, put more fuel in the fire as far as whether or not the so-called conspiracy theory regarding this um, uh, Chinese virus lab leak is actually the case. So we are going to be following this very closely, obviously. And uh, again, the FBI apparently is on this, the CIA is on this. And uh, I think people are going to have to answer for this and we'll see kind of where that leads to. So that being said, <laughs> let's move on to the next topic. So a um, little less uh, conspiratorial on this one. It's about insomnia. Now, we always talk about sleep around the health and wellness connection. Sleep is extremely important. Uh, we all know that sleep is just really critical for all sorts of healthy bodily functions. Now, some people like to disregard sleep like it's irrelevant and they try to promote the whole hustle 24-7 mentality, which is which is cool. But again, you know, you can hustle. But if you you know die prematurely, is it really worth it? You know what I'm saying? Like, are you going to be able to spend that those resources that you're gaining? And so I always tell people, make sure you're factoring your sleep daily. Um, you want to get between six to eight hours of sleep to make sure that you're getting, you know, that proper recharge so you can function, you know, at your best, you know, the next day. But beside the, the general recommendations, there's a new study coming out that said that the lack of sleep can actually have an effect on your heart and actually increase your risk of heart attack quite a bit. All right. So this research comes out of Cedar sinai Institute and a bunch of cardiologists, you know, kind of went to get went and looked at a bunch of folks who complained of insomnia. The beauty of this study was that it actually incorporated multiple locations. So this is not just a United States study. They had people from um, they had researchers from Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, um, all over the globe. Harvard Medical School was involved, and they looked at different individuals who were um, basically diagnosed as having clinical insomnia. And this is again officially um, the definition of insomnia: essentially, someone who has difficulty falling asleep difficulty staying asleep and then waking up early and being unable to fall back asleep. So they looked at folks with this diagnosis over an 11 year period, right? So very good long study looking at long term effects and, and different behavioral patterns. Looked at 1.18 million people. So very strong, powerful study. You know, we talk about studies on this podcast and how it's very important that the larger the study, the more relevant information is. Studies with like two, three people in it, you can't really say a whole lot. But when you have millions and millions of people in the study, that's when the data becomes more um, more important. So basically, in this study, over one million people were, were, were looked at as far as their progression over 11-year period. Looked at those who had diagnosed with insomnia compared to the other counterparts. And essentially, those who had insomnia were 1.56 more times likely to have a heart-related event. So heart attacks 
and other cardiovascular events, arrhythmias. So um, very important. And uh, and it's not necessarily you have to sleep longer to get that more protective event. Just six hours or more, you have the same benefit. So just things like that. Six hours of sleep can literally keep you from, or at least reduce your risk of heart disease. Now, that being said, um, the good news is that overall, the risk of heart attack was low in both groups. Um, but there was, again, a significant High, a significantly higher risk in the group who were who were diagnosed with insomnia. So just showing you again, while the risk is a significant, every little piece of risk adding behavior counts. So if you're not sleeping, you're smoking, you're going hard drinking, you know, eventually all these risks add up and that's when you start seeing these effects um, more early and more um, aggressive. So um, protect your sleep, guys, get your rest. And, uh, you know, don't be someone who um, disregards their health for whatever reason. All right, so um, let's go on. So the next um, interesting article that came across uh, my desk this week was linked to something that many of you guys probably use a lot and probably love, and that's zero calorie sweeteners. Specifically, one sweetener actually, and it was probably known as stevia, which is um, very commonly seen in a lot of these keto-based diets and you know, different zero calorie offerings. You see at different, you know, Starbucks or whatever different areas that serve sweeteners. And it's also from the Cleveland Clinic. And this one also is related to your heart. So basically the actual active ingredient in stevia known as erythritol. All right. So, you know, stevia is probably easier to pronounce this. So we'll just keep calling it stevia. <laughs> so basically this, this um, artificial sweetener used very commonly and is very popular because it tastes good. And it's zero calories. It doesn't affect your carb your carb counts. The problem is that it's been shown to have uh, basically increasing the risk of its users of heart attack and stroke uh, by a significant amount, including diabetes. And the funny thing is that this you know compound they didn't actually plan on studying it for this reason. They actually were just doing some research in general, looking at problems of inflammation in the cardiovascular cardiovascular system of the body now before we get into too much detail let's talk about the research i always like to give a shout out to the researchers because we always like to focus on science-based medicine here right so dr stanley hazen center of cardiovascular diagnostics at the cleveland clinic so cleveland clinic again doing their thing in the heart you know um, realm so we give them a lot of respect in that area but it, again so this study they were looking at just inflammation in the heart what was causing it looking at general inflammatory components seeing people who had higher levels of those inflammation components and then trying to see what compounds were causing the inflammation. So it was more of an accidental finding. It wasn't even intentional, which is actually the best kind of science because that gives you truly unbiased um, information. So they saw these inf inflammatory markers. They then isolated the compound causing it, and it was this artificial sweetener. So the reason why this is important, because we always talk about inflammation and how it's very deadly. This is really the what really is the center of all disease. Inflammation, this is what actually causes heart attacks, causes strokes, causes diabetes, causes cancer. So reducing inflammation has always been a key factor when it comes to better health. So that's why I always, poke, always promote anti-inflammatory diets, you know, getting your sleep, getting, you know, just learning how to relax, reducing stress. All those things are, are what we call pro-inflammatory conditions. So anything that causes inflammation is very, very dangerous. And this unfortunately has come about as another thing that we have to be worried about. Now, of course, you know, we always talk about do it organic on this show. So natural is always best. I'm a fan of just very simple, natural uh, sugar options. Just the key is moderation. If you 
take and if you're someone who suffers from problems with managing sugar or metabolizing sugar like you again are diabetic or some sort of related illness reducing your amount of sugars is really important as opposed to replacing it with these zero calorie or artificial substitutes because a lot of times side effects can be just as bad as you know the condition you're trying to treat so got to be careful so either way they looked at this um inflammatory markers found that it was due to the stevia and now as a result it's believed that this stevia is causing inflammation in its users resulting in increased creations of clots which is really the key component in heart disease and heart attacks and if you think about it and i don't want to get too technical but let's briefly describe how this happens if you have something that causes inflammation in your blood vessels right your blood vessels are think of them as like pipes with high pressure fluid running through them at a high level you have any kind of nick in that inner working of the pipe or your blood vessels that triggers an inflammatory response creates clots those clots then move down the blood vessels further and further causing further damage to your tissue so inflammation is very very bad so this compound now associated with inflammation i think is probably something that more than likely would not be ideal for someone to continue to use so if you are using it highly recommend you consider you know reevaluating your, your sweetening options and uh you know let's try to focus on you know natural organic substance that's what i prefer so i'm always a fan of simple regular old sugar and uh kind of focus on keeping your levels or you're keeping your um your intake at a moderate level so stevia again associated with heart attacks unfortunately for stevia all right so let's move on so the next study is interesting um study about calories and cutting them and what can end up resulting from that so eventually a new study shows that cutting calories can actually slow the pace of aging now you know people always talk about cutting calories to lose weight but you never thought that if you lose weight you probably could actually live longer and, not, and it's not necessarily related to weight it's actually related to calorie consumption directly so this comes from a new study that comes out of new york city specifically columbia university authored dr daniel belsky now they looked at people and the risk for dying and they looked at those who ate large numbers of calories and then they looked at groups they looked at a total group of people who consume a certain number of calories right they separated them into groups they cut one's group's calories percentage down by 25 percent the other group was allowed to consider continue that normal calorie consumption and they found that those who had their calorie consumption reduced 25 percent actually appeared to slow down the rate of aging and so they did this by looking at different levels of different blood levels in their system looked at their dna profiles and they found that now one thing before i go further this study was small wasn't very large 75 people they looked at who ate normally and then 145 people they looked at cutting back the calories 25 percent and so you know a little over 200 people not very powerful so we can't make grand proclamations here but we can say that you know there's some probably data we can probably tease out of this and what they found was that those who cut back on their calories were actually found to lower their risk of dying over 10 to 15 years by 10 to 15 percent so you know it's that's pretty significant in 10 years you lower your risk of dying by 10 percent just by cutting your calories 25 percent um i think that's not a bad i trade off now if you're someone who you know thinks you'll be depressed if you're not eating your normal calorie count you know who knows but if you're seeing that there's actually true benefits as far as your biological aging process i think that's something you can't really um you know ignore now ultimately ultimately i think this 
looks more toward the process of calorie restriction intermittent fasting and whether or not this could have potential benefits with increased life expectancy this is kind of what the study was really kind of reaching at after looking at the data and so that's one thing that i think this will potentially bode well for especially those who are looking at you know different you know dietary management plans like intermittent fasting which is becoming very popular these days so if that's associated with longer life just as a result of cutting your calories down i think that's something that will probably get more attention to it so um you know ultimately let's you know we'll keep fo focusing on this and looking at you know obviously diet and, and health issues as, as we do on this show but hey let's hopefully if we you know, can make these recommendations a reality we can enjoy the benefits of longer life span and life expectancy so keep that in mind when you go for your next trip to the buffet guys all right all right guys so the next study um kind of like an additional study just found out that um thought it was very, very interesting not not sure how relevant it is but it says that over-the-counter laxatives so i'm sure you guys have had issues with constipation here and there have trouble going to the toilet figure you pop a laxative to help your bowels move well apparently they're saying that people who use over-the-counter laxatives have a significantly increased risk of dementia so you didn't know you lose your mind just because you were constipated <laughs> it's not a not an unfortunate uh, uh turn of events but Again, this, this study looked at um, 500,000 middle-aged older adults. This is out of the UK Biobank. And they looked at those who reported regular laxative use. So I guess they're regularly constipated. Now think about it. If you're constipated all the time, chances are you're probably not eating enough fiber. You're not drinking enough water. So you probably have high levels of inflammation as well. And you're probably eating a lot of processed foods and all that. So this may not be completely related to laxatives, but if you're having trouble with regular bowel movements, which is probably linked to a bad diet, which is probably then causing increased inflammation. All that could be related. And this is probably why you see dementia in this, in this population. So I think this is kind of, when you look at these kind of general causation type, you know, um, research studies, especially this one, because it looks at the UK biobanks. They didn't follow people taking laxatives and see how they progressed. They just looked at people in the biobank, those who took laxatives, those who didn't. And it looked at the, the overall pre prevalence of dementia in these groups. And what they found is that those who took laxatives had a 64% increased risk of dementia. So that's pretty significant, guys. So if you're using laxatives weekly, yeesh, you may, you know, chances are have some sort of risk for increased dementia later on in life. So, and I think because the bowels are really, you know, a good indication of your overall health, if you're eating well, drinking your water, you know, minding your business, you're probably <laughs> gonna have pretty good bowels out of it. You know the last part, but ultimately, you know, bowel health is very important. And I think this study illustrates, you know, some of the potential risks that you may not even think are linked. I mean, imagine you're constipated and then, you know, 20 years later, you know, you don't remember who, you know, who, who your kids are. So it's pretty, you know, um, kind of crazy stuff here. But again, this is again, uh, just a reason uh, they looked at data and made kind of various correlations. So it's not really 100% something we can hang our hats on, but it's an interesting observation nonetheless. All right, guys, so the last study here that we're going to talk about, last kind of data, we're talking about the benefits potentially of red wine. And this is something that just really came out. Um, again, this is cardiovascular health month, February. So a lot of heart related uh, studies are coming out. And this is another one that's talking about the benefits potential wine. Now, this study comes out of Brazil, um, University of actually quite a few universities out of Brazil looked at wine flora in the gut. So they looked at people who drank wine 
regularly and the actual bacteria in their gut and whether or not there were some potential differences in those who did not drink wine. So they looked at about 42 people. So again, very tiny study. It's almost like <laughs> this is kind of a more of an interesting kind of read as opposed to a study looking at any kind of true, you know, things we can pull out from it and apply to other people. But it is to me, it was interesting nonetheless. Again, about 42 people looked at who drank wine regularly. These people also had documented coronary artery disease, so they had inflammation, heart-related injuries. Now, they looked at these folks. They drank approximately 250 mLs of red wine per day. They looked at different, no particular difference in the wines. I think it was Merlot they drank in this study. So 250 mLs per day of wine. And then they looked at after they drank for about two weeks and then they let them wash out, meaning drank no wine for two weeks after that process. Then they looked at the gut microbial. So they went and put a camera in their stomachs, took a piece of their gut um, tissue and looked at the, the microbes in the gut. And what they found was that there were actually bacteria in the gut that were basically focused on what we call oxidative reactions. So to be less technical, there was more bacteria that produced products that helped reduce free radicals that damaged the body. This is what we always know is associated with cancer. So they basically were able to oxidize these free radicals, neutralize them, reducing the content of these dangerous cancerous carcinogens in the body. So there's a belief that potentially the red wine is affecting the body's bacteria that allows it to better handle stressful chemicals that are associated with all these inflammatory issues and cancers and whatnot. So it's, again, a very tiny study, but, you know, it's well known that red wine has been very helpful or can help reduce the risk of coronary heart disease. Now, of course, this is moderate consumption, 250 per day, no more than that. And ultimately, it does show that there could be potentially some biological benefits from drinking red wine, and there could be some cardioprotective benefits that are even shown with this you know, new data we're seeing as far as this gut microbe study. So either way, this is very interesting stuff, guys. You know, we know that the heart is very important to start the pump of the body keeps us going. So we want to make sure we protect our hearts, guys, even though the, the month is coming to an end here. Um, it's very important that we think about your heart health daily and, uh, you know, make sure you do what you can to keep it going as long as it can. So all right, guys. So um, that is all for today's show. Um, hopefully, you know, you got some out of it today. We're going to be trying to do this video thing uh, regularly. Um, we're going to do the video and the audio. So please don't get too, uh, <laughs> don't get too um, you know, upset if you're thinking the audio is going to suffer from, because of the video. Um, but we're going to keep bringing it to you guys. We're going to keep trying to keep bringing you up to date with some of the latest and most interesting health and wellness topics. Um, for those on Facebook, check with us. Facebook was uh, potentially, well, my old Facebook was actually shut down. So we got a new Facebook we're trying to build. So share, like, tell your people if you like the show. We're going to keep trying to bring it to you regularly. And, uh, you know, thanks for kicking it with us for this show. Um, this is a live run of the Health and Wellness Connection. And we're going to try to do this every week. So, again, until next week, it's your host, Dr. Barry. See you soon.
Thank you for listening to the Health and Wellness Connection podcast and radio show. For more information on ways to get healthy, please check us out. www.anchor.fm forward slash HW Connection. Here you can re-listen to the show, check out older shows, and even further support the show by becoming a subscriber to the podcast. Please check us out today. Again, that's anchor.fm forward slash HW Connection. And also, don't forget to follow Dr. Barry on Instagram at drbarrymd. Until next time, stay healthy.